We're in the middle of this book uh, called Galatians, a letter that Paul wrote to some churches in Turkey. And this morning we're in Galatians 4, verse 21. And while you're flicking there, let me just preface this by saying this is undoubtedly the most complicated passage in Galatians. So, there's good stuff here. This is relevant. And, the, and you know, I remind myself when we get to passages like this, Paul is not writing this to an academic audience. He's not writing this to a bunch of theologians. He's writing it to ordinary Christians and an ordinary church living ordinary lives. So he must have thought it had some value, some relevance and some application. So we can take heart from that, even though on first look, this is tough stuff. So get the mind engaged, right? If you've got a red bull, now's the time to have that. And uh, we're going to get into this. Let's, let's read this passage together and then we will, we will tackle it. Here we go. Galatians 4, starting at verse 21. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born as the result of human effort, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a divine promise. I am taking these things figuratively, for the woman represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Shout for joy and cry aloud, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born of human effort persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does the Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Make sense? Amen? Let's go home. Easy, easy stuff. <laughs> All right, let me start this way. Uh, Anna and I have recently been watching through the first season of the, of the TV program 24. Anybody seen that? We watched it, and 24 fans here. So we're, we're, we're latecomers to the game, but we have gone through the first season of 24. Uh, it's about a federal agent in the States, Jack Bauer, and he's on a race against the clock to save, uh, to thwart this terrorist plot against a US senator, and his wife's been targeted, wife and child have been targeted by these terrorists, and so he's trying to you know, save them, free them, and deal with this uh, assassination attempt. And you get, to the, you get to the whole way through the series, 24 episodes, because each one is an hour, the whole 24-hour day. You get to the second to last episode, and I won't ruin it for you, but there is this massive twist in the story. And, you, and you, it's suddenly revealed at the end of the second to last episode that one of the main characters, who you thought had been playing a certain role all along, is actually someone completely different. And the twist is almost too big. Because you have to go back then right to the beginning, you know, in your mind and start thinking through the whole story again, knowing that this person isn't who I thought they were. They're this. And so you think back to all their interactions right through the whole uh, season and it, it almost recreates the whole story. 
you sort of rerun it again in your mind and you think everything I thought was happening a certain way was actually happening another way because who I thought was in this role turns out to be somebody completely different. This is kind of like what Paul's doing in this complicated chapter of Galatians. I know it's tough and technical, but really Paul is drawing on a story. He's drawing on a story that would have been well known to his audience, a story in the Old Testament, a story about Abraham's two sons, a story that his audience probably knew and and were probably being told, a story that everybody thought went one particular way. And what Paul is doing is telling the story, but giving it a massive twist so that the way we thought the story went all of a sudden turns out to be completely different. The roles we thought people were playing in the story turn out to be the opposite of what roles they were. And this affects who we see ourselves as in this story. If you remember in Galatia, the situation behind this letter, there's this group called the Judaizers. These are the ones that are telling the the Christians in Galatia that in order to be a real Christian, in order to be really part of God's family, you've got to observe the Jewish law. And then you've got Paul over here and the the Jesus-only Christians, if you like. Uh, He's telling them that Jesus is is, is what matters. You don't need the law. It's faith in Christ. That's what brings you to God. That's what sustains you. That is what makes you fully a part of God's family. So you have these two sides. And Paul is going to use the story in the Old Testament, the story about Abraham, the story about his sons, to show that these two roles, these two sides, these two opposing forces are actually quite different to who we thought they were. So, we need to be a little bit familiar with the story Paul's actually telling. And it comes from the book of Genesis. We won't read the chapters now, but but Genesis uh, 15, 16, and then chapter 21. If you want to read it this week, you can. He's just drawing straight out of Genesis, just telling the story. And it's a story of Abraham. God appears to this guy, Abraham, and he says, I am going to bless you, Abraham. I'm going to give you a son. You're going to have a son, and this son is going to be the first in a long line of descendants who are eventually going to become a great nation, a wonderful, huge people, and I'm going to bless that nation. They are going to be the greatest nation on earth. Now, the problem is with this, Abraham is 86 years old, so he's well past his prime, and his wife has never been able to have children. So Abraham's wife, Sarah, comes up with this plan, and she says, look, odds are this isn't really going to happen. God's made a great promise, but look at us. You know, this is not naturally going to happen. So let's just take matters into our own hands. Here's, here's what we're going to do, Abraham. I've got this maid, I've got this slave called Hagar. Why don't you, Abraham, go and sleep with Hagar and get her pregnant and then she can have a child and, 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 and that will be our son. We'll take the child. And so basically they're, they're planning to use Hagar as a surrogate to carry their child. And that way we'll get the son. And that will, we'll just basically, we're helping God along. You know, God didn't really know our situation when he made this promise. So if we can just get things going here, that's really going to play in our favor. And so, worse still, Abraham goes along with this. He sleeps with Hagar and he gets her pregnant. Then things really come apart. Hagar, you know, despises Sarah. We're told probably because she bonds with this child, she wants to keep the child and she knows Sarah's going to take the child off her, so she despises Sarah. This leads Sarah to mistreat Hagar to the point that Hagar runs away from Sarah and then God confronts Hagar when she's run away and says, no, you need to go back, you need to return to to, to the family and so Hagar returns and it all goes back and forth. Eventually she does have this child. This Hagar has this boy and his name is Ishmael. In the story, the way Paul tells it, this is who he refers to as the, sl- as the child of the slave woman. 
Ishmael is the child of Hagar and she is the slave woman. Later on, Sarah herself does get pregnant and she does have a child, she does have a boy and his name is Isaac and he is the one that God had promised. The other child was this, really turns out to be this illegitimate child. This child, that, and he is not the one who's going to carry the promise, but Isaac over here is the one through whom God's promise is going to flow. He'll be the descendant that, that turns out to be the great nation that God had promised. So you have these two children, Ishmael, the son of Hagar, the slave woman, and you have Isaac, the son of Sarah, the free woman, as she's called in Galatians 4. So it's the story of these two children with their two mothers, but, but one father. We tracking so far? We're okay? Still awake? All right. Now, here's where it gets tricky. What Paul does with this story, he says, now, let me take these things as, as metaphors. Let me take these two children, these, these two women, as symbols. And he says, Hagar, the slave woman, she corresponds to Mount Sinai in Egypt, or Arabia as it was there. So Paul draws this line from Hagar to Mount Sinai, where the law was given. Mount Sinai was where Israel gathered, God entered into covenant with them, and he gave them the Torah, the law, all of the commandments, the sacrificial system, priests, Levites, all of that. That's the law. He gave that to them at Sinai. Now, immediately, as soon as Paul draws a connection between Hagar, the slave woman, and Mount Sinai, he's got the Judaizers offside with him because this is not the way the story went in their minds. They would have drawn a connection between Sarah and Mount Sinai because Sarah had Isaac. He was the chosen descendant who carried on through the patriarchs and eventually birthed the nation of Israel who got the law. So surely the line goes from Sarah to Isaac. But Paul says, no. Guess what? There's a twist to the story. I'm telling it differently. This is my story and here's how it goes. Hagar goes to Mount Sinai because Mount Sinai is where the law was given and the law makes people slaves just like Hagar. That's Paul's argument. So he's not talking biologically descendants. He knows that that happened with Isaac and Israel and so on. But he's saying symbolically, here's the deal. Mount Sinai and the law, that actually is spiritually descended from Ishmael and the slave woman because the law placed people under slavery. It made a slave people. He's basically describing Israel like a slave people, enslaved to the law. They are Ishmael. Now that's not all. Stay with it. He then goes, Mount Sinai is then corresponding to the present city of Jerusalem. Why the present city of Jerusalem? Because this was Judaizers' HQ. This was the centre of the Judaizers' movement. This is where those guys came from. They all attached themselves strongly to Jerusalem because that's where the temple was. That's where God's presence resided. That's where the, the law was you know, centred around the teaching of Torah. Jerusalem was really the heart and soul of Judaism and Paul says, guess what? There's a straight line from Hagar, the slave woman, to Mount Sinai and the law making people slaves to the present city of Jerusalem, the HQ of the Judaizers movement, which is basically putting people in slavery because it's forcing them to obey the Jewish law. So Paul is basically saying to the Judaizers, you and all of your crew based in Jerusalem, you are like Ishmael. You are slaves. They thought they were the free ones. They thought they were the true sons of God, the true sons of Abraham, standing in the long line of Isaac and Jacob and so on. 
Paul says, guess what? You guys are over on the other side of the ledger. You're actually children of the slave woman because you are putting people in slavery by forcing them to obey this law that came from Sinai, being reinforced in Jerusalem, and you're pushing it onto my people in Galatia. You guys are just standing on the wrong side of the balance sheet. Then on the other side of the equation, because if this is who the slave people are, who are the free people? And so Paul says, well, Isaac was the free son. And Paul draws a line from Isaac through to what he calls the heavenly Jerusalem. So the earthly Jerusalem over here is the slave. But the heavenly Jerusalem is the Jerusalem that was free. In Jewish minds, they had this concept that the earthly Jerusalem was just a shadow of this true Jerusalem that existed in heaven and would one day be revealed, coming down from heaven to earth, the true heavenly city, the perfect Jerusalem. And Paul says, Paul uses that to say, that's the freed Jerusalem, not this earthly city, but this perfect city of God that's always been about freedom, it's always been about grace, it's never been about the law, and this Jerusalem, and this free woman Sarah, and this freed son Isaac, that corresponds to those who are Jesus only, Christians. Paul says that that's you guys talking to his churches in Galatia who he's pleading with to remain true to the gospel and true to Jesus. He's saying this is who you are. If you cling to Jesus alone, you are truly free. If you cling to Jesus only and, and you don't worry about the law over here as a test of salvation, if you cling to Jesus alone, you are truly the free ones. You are Isaac. You're the son of the free woman. Now can you see how the roles have switched? Can you see how this is a different telling of the story? The roles that everyone thought they were playing are suddenly totally reversed and everyone's wearing a different mask now. The Judaizers who thought that they were the true sons of Isaac, that they were actually the truly free ones and who were telling these Jesus-only Christians over here, you guys are illegitimate children, you guys are slave children, you guys are Ishmael. Paul just flips the whole thing. And he says, guess what? You Judaizers, you're over here. You're the slave woman, you're the slave child and you're reinforcing the slavery of people. And those Christians who are clinging to Jesus alone and not allowing themselves to be burdened by law, they are the ones that are truly free. Even though you know, the Judaizers are saying, no, they're slaves, they're religious. Paul says, no, you're free. You are truly free. might not look like it, That might not be the way the story is being told to you, but you are truly free. See, this is a story, really, about who is free and who is a slave. Who are the truly free ones and who are the ones who are actually enslaved? You think about this in our context. Is it possible that we think we are free when actually we are enslaved? Is it possible that we are standing in the shoes of the Judaizers, thinking that we are liberated, free, our own people, when actually we're playing the role of the slave woman? Is it possible that what others call slavery and look at as being enslaved is actually the road to freedom? Who is free? Who is enslaved? Are we truly freed people? When Anna and I were in the States a few years ago, uh, you hear all the time in America the idea of freedom. It's a huge virtue and value. 
in American culture. Uh, to a degree it is in a lot of Western countries, but in the States it's just this prized ideal. And generally what freedom means is uh, it's largely understood in political terms, so freedom from tyranny, uh, freedom to be in a, in a democratic people, freedom of choice, freedom of religion, freedom to gather, freedom of expression, freedom of speech, all of these freedoms. And they're prized ideals, and, and so they should be. These are good things, these are valuable things, these are, are virtuous things, and they are treasured by people. And it represents the fact that in our, in our culture, in our Western society over the last couple of hundred years, there has been this huge emphasis on the freedom of the individual, the freedom of the self, that the, the, the prized ideal of modernity, the prized ideal of Western culture since the Enlightenment has been the liberated self, the self that is free from all shackles, the self that is unrestricted and unhindered in its pursuit of the world. And so the narrative is that you and I were born with all kinds of limitations, limitation of education, limitation of knowledge and skill and technology and science, limited by our culture, limited by our place in life, limited by circumstances, and our whole journey of life is a journey towards being released, being freed, being emancipated from these things that shackle us so that we can gain mastery over ourselves, so that we can gain mastery over our world. Not that we don't live in society, it's not, it's not an argument for anarchy, but it's an argument for the self-governed, self-determined, self-centred, self-controlled life. It's why on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, if you know Maslow uh, and that, that five layers of hierarchy of needs, what's the highest need that we have? What's the, what's the, what's the pinnacle need? Self-actualisation. That's, that's the goal, you know, the, the, when the self becomes all the self can be when we reach the zenith of our potential, when we fully become who we're fully able to be. And again, some of this stuff is, is not bad. It's not a bad thing to reach our potential. It's not a bad thing to, to, to move from strength to strength and free ourselves where that needs to happen. The problem is that all this in Western culture is understood in such an egocentric way that it is complete preoccupation with me and I and the personal pronoun, you know, I. It's me being freed from stuff that hinders me and holds me back so I can be all I can be and be free to be who I truly am. It's this total self and the, and the self becomes the highest value and the highest being in the universe and the whole goal of life is to get to that point, free ourselves from everything else so that we can truly take charge of things around us. And that's how our culture understands freedom. That's how what we understand it means to be freed is to be unrestricted and unlimited in our pursuit of stuff that we want. And if there's something I want, I should be free to have it, free to get it, free to pursue it. And I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that the Bible calls that type of freedom slavery. This is where the story twists. That the type of freedom you and I hear about, the type of freedom we are told we should be pursuing, can in fact be a form of slavery. I remember when I got my first job um, working in a public relations agency and I, I got a you know, certain salary and then after six months I had this pay review and my pay increased about 15, 16% after six months. And I remember sitting in that, in that performance review, that pay review, and just feeling something in my shift in my heart when my pay went up that much. It, it was a weird, hard thing to explain, but it was just this hunger that suddenly started to, to 
to catch hold of my heart. And I, I felt it. I, you know, it's, it's like a little, okay. Now, if I can get that again in another six months' time, then I'm going to be in this bracket here. And then if I could get that for the next two reviews, I could be here. Your mind just starts going. And I just felt myself. It's like uh, just a pull. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Just a pull. And you realise, man, the money ladder. I'm going for it. I'm on the road. Here I am. I'm moving. And you start to go down all the scenarios. If I could just get to this bracket, opens up this lifestyle option for me over here and then I could save this and get that. And away you go. It's like in that moment, the first couple of links in a chain around my heart just started to form. And I was so tempted to pursue money. The only thing I could do to avoid the temptation was to go work in a church. It was the only only answer I had. (laughs) So now I've fleed that temptation. Not even an issue. (laughs) But you know, you know how easy this can be and and, and we leave it unchecked and it just starts to get a hold of us and we just start to subtly pursue this more and more. It's not something overt that we would say. It's not something we'd admit to. We may not even be that conscious of it happening, but at a subtle level, and some of you may even be in this position right now, it's just getting a hold. And the very thing that we think we're pursuing is enslaving us. That's the paradox. Do you see how this works? We are pursuing financial freedom, and in the process of doing so, we are becoming slaves. That's what's happening. That's, I think, what Paul's talking about. What we're thinking is freedom is actually slavery. We are pursuing the money ladder. You are pursuing status and power and position and rank and influence and control within the context of a job, let's say. And the very things that your heart is grabbing onto and pulling you towards, we don't even realise that that's starting to be a chain around our heart. That is starting to enslave us and entrap us. Now again, nothing wrong with getting a pay rise. Nothing wrong with moving up. Nothing wrong with being team leader, then team manager. No problem. That's not what we're talking about. It is the effect that these things can have on our heart if we don't do something about it. It is the subtle pull towards slavery to these things where this becomes focus and it becomes our obsession and it becomes something that actually controls us rather than us controlling it. It is something that becomes ultimately egocentric, floating around ourself, rather than theocentric, orbiting around God. It's the turn inwards. It's the turn to the self. And we name it as freedom, and we misname it, because it's actually slavery. It's actually entrapment. And we're actually playing the role of Ishmael. We thought we were Isaac, but so often we're becoming Ishmael. So the question becomes, what then does it mean to be Isaac? What does it mean to be truly free? In this story and in the story of our lives, if we are so easily enslaved by various things, what does it mean to be free? And here's the wonderful paradox of the Gospel, that freedom is actually about surrender paradox at the heart of Christian discipleship. Freedom, real freedom, is about surrender to Christ. It's actually about the giving up of ourselves. It's actually about the laying down 
of our lives. It's actually about the handing over of ourselves. So that doesn't sound like freedom. That sounds like slavery. That sounds like I'm going back under the bondage of someone else controlling me. Well, it does sound like that and that's exactly why Paul can say in the same breath, I'm free in Christ and I am a slave of Christ. There's the irony of what it means to follow Jesus. Freedom is slavery because the either, whatever you do in life, you're going you're gonna to be a slave to someone. You're going to serve someone. You are today serving something or someone. You just got to choose your master. That's the deal. And real freedom is about naming God as our master. See, freedom is about finding who we truly are as God's creatures beneath a gracious and wise and loving creator. That we are God's created beings. Freedom is not the facade of pretending we are the highest beings in the universe when we're not. That's just that's deluding ourselves. Freedom is discovering who we were created to be, which is truly human, which is created beings. Freedom is not about being liberated, emancipated, restricted, no boundaries, no restrictions, no guidelines. Freedom is about who are we? We are God's created beings and we posture ourselves in this place of submission and humility under a loving and wise and gracious and compassionate and sovereign God. That, my friends, is true freedom. The world looks at it and says slavery, rules, restrictions, regulations, religion, slavery. But those of you who have made the journey know that this is the path to true freedom and this is the truth the world doesn't want to hear, that the road to freedom is true surrender. We are most free when we are most surrendered to Christ. We are most free when our will and our heart and our mind and our body and our entire being is most consecrated, most surrendered. That is the narrow road that leads to freedom. And it is in that posture of absolute surrender, not just saying it, but living absolute surrender, that we find freedom because we find that we are truly human, not pretend human beings, not selling ourselves some Western fairy tale, but truly human beings. We find that we can be right in the centre of God's will and we find the power of the Spirit in our lives to break the strongholds of things that actually enslave us. We find that in a posture of surrender to God, we can actually see that there are forces and there are habits and there are patterns and there are addictions in our lives that were actually enslaving us and we never saw it and we never realised it. But they were dehumanising us the whole time. And in that posture of surrender and that that willing submission and humility before the Lord, we suddenly gain the perspective to see that stuff was slavery all along, that hunger and thirst for whatever stuff we're hungering and thirsting after. It was so misplaced and true freedom is right here. Christ-centred, spirit-led, God-governed, living. And the power of the Spirit to break the hold that those things have on our lives. Because freedom, biblically speaking, being Isaac is both a freedom from and a freedom for. It's not just leaving something, but it's moving to something. It's a freedom from anger and it's a freedom for gentleness. It's a freedom from meaninglessness and purposelessness and it's a freedom for meaning and purpose and a grounding of who we are in life. It's a freedom from addiction and it's a freedom from all of that stuff and to pursue a life of purity 
integrity, honesty, whatever the addiction is not. It's a freedom from the clamoring and posturing for position and status and promotion and a freedom for contentment and sufficiency in Christ. A freedom from more, 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 the narrative of consumerism and a freedom for enough, enough, sufficient, resting. Freedom is always a journey, a freedom from something and a freedom for something. But when we enter this territory of the freedom for, we find this is what it means to be truly alive. And it's everything that the world might look at and say, that's just slavery. But we know this is the path to true freedom. So I don't know what it might be this morning that you're enslaved to, but you might be sitting here and you realise, you know, there's something that's a chain around my heart. You might realise that you thought you were Isaac, but you're actually in the place this morning of Ishmael. There might be something that is entrapping you and enslaving you, and it's a chain around your heart. You might be enslaved to jealousy towards somebody else, and you're looking at them and you just want what they've got. You want that talent. You want that body. You want that position. You want that property portfolio. And it's a chain around your heart. It's ensl- the very thing that you're craving is enslaving you. You might be enslaved to pride. Such a subtle road of, of slavery. You're just starting to think a little bit highly of yourself, more highly than you ought to. And you're just starting in your own mind and in your interactions and conversations. There's a lifting up of your own self and your own ego and a tendency to condescend and patronise and look down on. That's a chain around your heart. The very thing that you're pursuing is enslaving you this morning. You may be a slave to greed. You may be a slave to lust. You might be a slave to insecurity. You might be a slave to bitterness towards another person. There's someone in your life whom you have such a grudge toward that it is actually a chain around your heart. And in your attempt to hold power over them and keep them in a position of being your target, it's enslaving you. They're enslaving you. And friends, the good news is that God can break the power of those things over your life. The good news is that God is a God of freedom and he wants to bring the... Psalm 18 says, The Lord rescued me in the day of disaster and he brought me out into a spacious place. That's where God wants to bring you. He doesn't want you in chains. He doesn't want you in bondage. He doesn't want you entrapped by these things, even though we might think they're freedom. He wants to bring you into a spacious place, a place full of grace, a place where character is formed, a place where we can be truly human. And God, through the power of His Spirit, has the power to break the chains that are around your heart, that are around your mind, that are around your life, that are around your family today. He has the power to break those strongholds and bring you into a place of freedom and give you newness of life and enable you to discover what it truly, truly means to be free. He's able to do that. And he's here with the power to do that. The problem is we just resist it and we convince ourselves the only role we know how to play is Ishmael. The only role I've ever played is Ishmael. All I know is what it means to be a slave and God's saying to you today, today I want you to start playing the role of Isaac. Today you're going to have a new name, Isaac. The Bible says get rid of the slave woman with her son. 
Choose the free woman. That's who you are. We are free in Christ. He's died for our freedom. He's risen again for our freedom. He's given us his spirit for freedom. He's asking us to choose that freedom today. And there are some of you here today who need to choose to walk away from slavery, who need to choose today, I'm not going to be Ishmael anymore. I'm going to be Isaac. I'm going to choose that identity. I've been kidding myself, fooling myself, or willfully playing that role, but I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm stepping into freedom. I'm walking into freedom and I'm going to trust God to break the power of this thing over my life in my speaking, in my acting, in my thinking, in my attitudes, in who I am. I don't have to put up with that anymore. Let's bring these things to the Lord right now in prayer. Father, we lift whatever is going on in our lives to you this morning. And Father, we give to you right now those things that we are enslaved by, those things that are chains around our heart. If you're here today and, you, and there's something in your life right now that's enslaving you, and, and maybe you've just realised, you know, I thought this was what it meant to be free and it's just an awakening that you are actually a slave right here. And if today you want to leave that behind, and you're ready to say to God, I am not going to be a slave anymore. But Father, I run into your arms and into the freedom that you've given me. If today is your day to make that journey of freedom, I want to invite you just now to put up your hand. Just in the quietness where we've got our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Just raise your hand. If there's something in your life that today you say, I'm, I'm stepping away from that. That has been enslaving me for too long. I'm moving on to freedom. Just raise your hand. Praise God. Today may be that day that you need to take a walk along the freedom trail and embrace that newness of life that God gives you. Father, give us the faith to believe that that's possible. These things have been dragging our hearts down for so long, entangling us so that we can't even see clearly or think clearly for so long. But God, today, we just see in this story that we don't have to be slaves. We don't have to be slaves to anything except you. And I thank you that in you there is true freedom. I pray you'd set free, Lord, those that have made that declaration today in their hearts before you. Set them free. Father, by your Spirit's power, break the, break the stronghold that the enemy has over their lives. Right now, Lord, release your liberating power into the hearts and lives of these individuals to free them from the enemy's clutch, to free them from the enemy's grip. Lord, we just ask that the enemy would have no power over the hearts and lives of people here, that you would break through Free us, God. Free us from those ways of thinking and speaking and acting that are just death, that are just dehumanising us and that are preventing us from the life and the grace and the freedom that you want us to experience. Set us free. Break the power of the enemy over our lives, God. Throw off the shackles. Throw off the chains and let us taste that glorious freedom that Christ won for us on the cross. Thank you that you are so willing to do that. We ask you to do it now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Connection Point is a joint production between Connection Resources and Shore Community Christian Church. To subscribe to our free podcasts or to listen to the latest message, go to connectionresources.org.nz.